WV Uncommonplace. This podcast is a variety podcast that houses numerous series to cover mental health, empowerment, podcast framework, and various intimate theories to get to know the hosts. Along with occasional movies, reviews, and dives in pop culture with our event podcast episodes. The Uncommonplace digs into bringing guests on that stories don't fit the mold and are very different. WV stands for the great state of West Virginia and every quarter we cover something in West Virginia. Stacy and myself JR are your hosts so please come along for this venture to Uncommon Place. Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Um, today, I'm actually back home in the studio. Got a little video going on. And um, we've got someone on the show that's really, really important. And I always talk about people being important and this and that. But this person is, um, they have numerous titles to their name. Her name is Marsha and her last name. So I do not chop it up. I'm going to pronounce it real quick for you guys. And it is a very long last name. One thing I want to say about this last name, when she was growing up, she learned the alphabet through her name. Um, it's Vans Weinberg. Marsha Van Weinsberg. Is that correct? Yep. The second time you got it. You got it. Second time I got it correct. Now, um, audience, you know, we have a nostalgia question where I'm about to ask her who she is. So let's just wrap it a different way. Marsha, I want to hand it over to you. Please tell the audience about yourself, why you're here today, and then we will go from there. Oh, there's a big question. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg, and I do a whole lot of different things and everything from many years of podcasting to speaking, coaching. I'm an NLP trainer and I help people with vulnerable stories, learn how to like share, speak them, write them books, podcasts, put that information out into the world because it's actually our vulnerable stories that connect us more than anything and learning how to release the shame and speak and share openly honestly, can just create some of the most beautiful connections. So that's me in a very short nutshell. And I'm excited to be here today because I think the world of podcasting allows us to connect with incredible humans that, you know, we have very similar goals and we want to put great things out into the world. So I'm thrilled to be here today. Thank you very much, Marsha. Now you said one thing, and it's one keyword that I want to jump on, vulnerability. Vulnerability, that's, that, that is a, a thing that people put not since the pandemic, but now uh, it used to be taboo. Vulnerability mm-hmm. was something that we were not supposed to be uh, showing to people. It didn't matter if you're male, female, or whatever you decide your pronoun is in life. So let me ask you this. Vulnerability, what was the first time that you had to be vulnerable to um, encourage growth in yourself? Mm. Oh, what a fantastic question. I'm sure there are examples from when I was younger, but I'm going to refer to the first time I decided to share my story, my own personal story on a small stage. And I was scared to death, like scared to death to do it. But I felt this deep inner knowing that I, I needed to share this because when we hold on to difficult stories or shame, like shame loves that. It loves secrecy. So it actually just keeps you even more stuck and hidden in your own life. And when I was in this space, somebody asked me to share a 10 minute talk on stage. And I felt like, yes, you need to do this. And I was scared to death to do it at the same time. When I got on stage the first time I cried, but not, not what you want to do on stage, but I'm real and it happens. And I cried and then I was able to go, okay, like this is the thing that I judged myself for, for being vulnerable, for allowing myself to be seen was actually what allowed me to connect with so many people. And that was when I was like, oh wait, that's actually not a weakness. Like it's not a weakness. It's actually a strength. And then when it was done, I had so many people come up and connect and say, that's my story. I've never told a soul. And it started to blow me away that all of these people were holding on to incredibly, you know, vulnerable, shame, difficult stories. And it it literally was dictating their life. And that's when the eyes, like my eyes started to open and recognize that, if we can learn how to be more vulnerable, we can actually connect with more people. And I think we then step into what our purpose is here. Okay. Okay. Now your story, when you, when you're telling somebody about it, um, something I noticed that it's a mantra with you is the word own. 
O-W-I-N, owning your story, uh, certain type of accountability and responsibility. Now you're, you're, you've already went on stage. You've uh, came off the stage after this, this uh, speech that you gave. So your self-esteem levels differ um, mm-hmm. because people are coming to you and people are giving you gratification. Gratification is something that we all like. It's a warm feeling. It's like, but getting a cookie out of the oven, the first time you do it, it you know, it feels great. A few other times later, um, it, it's not that it becomes routine, I don't believe, but it becomes kind of natural, like a natural feeling, like you, you kind of know that this is what's going to take place. So once you were able to leave this behind and you were able to focus back in that you actually owned your story, you, um, and, and in telling a story, you took your choices, the way that you said what you wanted to say to these people, the way you wanted to portray and convey this message uh, to these people. How did you own that portion of your story? Because the tone and the perception that you give to people is the lasting effect that they get from conversation. Like me and you talking to each other prior, we've had two conversations outside of this and we've built a rapport. And from that point on, it's been smiles and, you know, back and forth between us and, you know, the interaction, seeing each other, you know, obviously on zoom, um, you can build that kind of rapport. So, how did you own these choices? Like what, like, how did you come up with the the, per, the perspective on how you were going to speak to people? I guess that's the best question I could ask. Great question. How did I come up with the perspective of how to like own that and share that with others? Yes. Because I got tired of blaming everyone else for where my life was at. Let's just be real for a second. Okay. I got so tired of blaming everyone else for where my life was at. And I have really come up with a few different mantras or ways to navigate this. And whatever you're blaming someone else for, you're not owning. Like it's so when you're sitting in a space of blame, which we've all been there, and that blame is like the victimhood, the the angry, the low vibrations. Um, we've all spent time there, but no change happens there. Like no change happens there. And so for some people, they will stay there for their entire life and no judgment. That's just where they will stay. I was so sick and tired of that space that I didn't want to be there anymore. I was a parent dealing with teen substance abuse. I mean, you can't get much more shame than that because so many people had so many opinions and thoughts and criticisms about us that I was in a space of blame that it was everyone else's fault why I was in this situation. And eventually it hits a point where it's like, okay, it's a normal reaction, but no change was coming. And I was desperately, desperately wanting change. And so I started to really explore, you know, therapy, work, reading, podcasts, and starting to understand that I could take responsibility for how I responded to what was happening in my life. Here's the thing. It didn't change what was happening in my life. It changed how I reacted to what was happening in my life. And that's when my life started to change. So owning my choices became a mantra back in 2015 that I kept saying to myself, it's like, okay, this is what's happening with my kids. Wait, that's not my choice. Wait, what's my choice? How can I take responsibility for my choices? And the more I started to, I said those words all day long, when it came time to start a podcast and share a message, like own your choices on your life became so clear because they were the guiding posts for me in my life. And every time I hit a point of frustration, which I'm human happens a lot, let's be real. <laughs> I actually, I will stop myself. And it's like, wait, what are you not owning right now? What are you not taking responsibility for? What are you blaming someone else for? And it's really important that I share don't do that in a derogatory way, right? Like don't shame yourself for being in that space. Cause again, no change happens. It's like, how can you recognize where you're not being your biggest supporter, where you're not like directing yourself to creating change. And so for me, owning my choices became a path because it was the only thing I could do. There was nothing else that I could do to create change. I spent years trying to change my kids and where they were at. I couldn't change that, but I could control how I responded to the situation. Okay. Okay. So doing, doing all that took a lot of courage. Um, and it took a lot of fortitude because admitting that we're wrong is something that we don't like to do. No one wants to truly do that. 
because ed- admitting that we're wrong uh, gives away the idea that that there was a mistake, there was something you know really bad about us, or mm-hmm. the scenario of scenario of this, the people around us necessarily weren't contributing to the good parts of what we were doing, but we still have to own up and take our part. So I thank you for that. So in getting that courage, or I like to use fortitude to, mm-hmm. to, to handle all these aspects, especially with the uh, teenage uh, substance abuse, that mm-hmm. would be something that would be real heavy because uh, I've dealt with, I've dealt with, I actually have a, a personal friend in podcasting that does nothing but a podcast about childhood addiction and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you have the courage to to like face that in public? Because to me, like you said about the shaming matter, to me as a parent, because I have a 14 year old, um, knowing that, you know, because substance abuse, like we think of that as an adult issue. We, we think of that as, you know, something that happens when there's pressures on the world. We don't think that our teenagers or children have the pressures of the world on their on you know they, they have any weight on their shoulder but getting good grades and if they play a sport or doing art keeping that up mm-hmm. or getting a car or something so how did you like have the fortitude to handle that and to present present it to the world because that, that takes a real real strong person to do that because i don't even know if i could let anyone inside my home to know these things about me you know yes and I can say that I didn't want others to know. I, I've always been, I've always been the strong person in my life, like the person who just persevered and kept going. And during those years, I tried so hard to make it be that everything is okay. We've got a handle on this. Everything is okay. So we didn't have a handle on it. We, we didn't like, I, no matter how big of a curtain I tried to put over top of it, I couldn't. And so when we think that no one knows what's going on, people know, like that people know it's, it's, it's just human nature. We do know, we, we see things, we might be able to extrapolate what we think is going on. I only had a very small circle of people who actually knew what was going on because I really protected myself and my energy at that time. And I, I mean, if you would have told me that five six years later, this is what I would be doing. Never in a million years did I think that was going to (laughs) happen. Never in a million years. We grow into the version of us. We're always growing into that next version of us. And I think if, if I would have had the ability to see ahead of time, what I would be doing now, a, I wouldn't have felt worthy. B, it would have scared the crap out of me and I probably would have stopped. So as much as we want to see the big vision and the big picture, which I still fall victim to all the time, um, there's a reason that we don't see it because we have to continue to grow into that version. So I want to say those two things when a couple of key things happened, um, while I was in, you know, um, counseling and support and my husband and I were doing work, trying to figure out like, how do you navigate this? This is just not, there's no textbook for this, right? Kids don't come with a manual anyways, let alone what we were living in. They just, there was no manual. And so we tried to navigate how to handle this and what to do. And I remember saying to my counselor at the time, like, no matter where I go, nobody's talking about this. Like, I I must be the only person in the world who's experiencing this because back in like 2015, people might not remember, but most of social media was beyond curated. Like it looked perfect. Like it was all, all perfect. And so I couldn't figure out where I fit in and what that looked like. So I had this feeling like no one else was struggling. And I remember her saying, can you reach out into some Facebook groups? Is there anything? Well, I started to search and I originally found a Facebook group with like over a hundred thousand moms in it. And I went, wait, what? Like there's, there's a hundred that like, obviously I'm not the only person who's struggling. And that was, we have to start to see that we're not alone in our challenges. Then, then that can help us to shift. And probably one of the most pivotal moments was when I said, I'm so tired of not being able to find information or nobody talking about difficult things. And my counselor said at the time, she said, maybe that's because you're supposed to. And that was one of the most pivotal things ever said to me. And I sat there and went, well, that's crazy. But then I was like, what if, like, what if I actually am supposed to do it? What if I could do something good with this difficult time in our life? What would that look like? And it started to open up possibilities of how would that feel? Um, I didn't know how it would feel. And I was honestly scared to death. I'm not going to lie, but I was more miserable where I was. 
And I didn't want to stay there anymore. So I was willing to put myself out there because anything had to be better than the, the isolation that I was living in. And that's, that's really what it comes down to. Sometimes we have to make those choices based on, I don't know what it's going to turn out to be, but I don't want to be here any longer. And at that time, I refer to that quote very often, and it's a Stephen Covey quote, and it's that we are not a product of our circumstances. We're a product of our decisions. And I went, what if I could make a change and that opened up a different possibility? And I I honestly, I, I can't say enough because we make so many decisions about whether or not to share our story or to speak up and allow ourselves to be seen based on the people in our life at that moment when actually the reason that we're meant to share it, the reason we're meant to be authentic and show up and be seen is because it allows us to connect with the people who are coming into our life, not the ones who are here right now. And I didn't know that at the time, but that was such an eye opener for me because we make so many decisions based on who's here today when actually like seasons, reasons, and lifetime. They're actually, some of those, most of those people aren't meant to be in your life for your lifetime. Wow. You kind of got me like th- th- that. That's going to stick with me because I'm thinking about it. I have this uh, mental setup. I have this thing called my memories museum mm-hmm. and people that don't fit the linear equation that I need for that time. I put them in my memories museum. It's not that I don't forget about them. I remember the good times, but like you said, it's the key essential people that we, we can't really like, uh, describe them or anything and you like you said you really don't know who they are until you get further into your future and then you see that history and then that's that lesson and that's that mistake so yeah that's powerful right there now let's talk about something real quick you're an author and, mm-hmm. and um inside west virginia and commonplace we, we do like we have like i told you we, have, we don't niche down we have different series so we have a mm-hmm. thing called the author circle um we have another thing that's called Podcast Collide, where we used to bring on podcasts and we would talk about their different podcasts. So those two things I want to incorporate real quick. Um, you wrote this book, When She Stopped Asking Why. Mm-hmm. And I got to read a few ex- ex- excerpts in it. And like it was powerful to me, just even in the title, it was powerful because it, it, it's that, that pivoting point. And I love when people provide a realistic pivot mm-hmm. not this astronomical pivot that may have taken place but it took place in stages so i want to thank you for that but first i want to tie back into being an author so you found your voice you had your choices and then one of your choices became a book what made you decide that today was the day that i'm going to write this book <laughs> I'm only laughing because I remember that time vividly. I shared in three different collaborative chapters and that became like toe dipping. What does it feel like to write? What does it feel like to write? And I remember very well, it was like middle of 2016. And I said to my husband, I think I meant to write a book. And he's like, are you, are you sure about that? Because like, that's really putting yourself out there. And I'm like, no, the calling felt really like it felt so solid and real because I had this intention. And I think this is really important when you're writing to have an intention that for me, it was that my story would help someone who had never walked in my shoes. That was my whole intention is what do you do when the path is no longer the path? And like, I didn't plan for this to be my life. This is not even close to what I planned for this to be my life. So what am I going to do with it? And I sat down and went, I feel like I'm supposed to write a book. And in that process, I started to reach out to fellow authors that I knew. And I'm like, what do you think? And they're like, ooh, this is a really vulnerable story. Are you sure you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, I I feel like I'm supposed to. And then I reached out to family, which I'm just going to say, like, be very mindful who you ask opinions from, especially when you're in a pivotal state in your life, because most of my family thought it was a terrible idea. I mean, they thought it was just a scary, terrible idea. So I was like, no, but I feel like I'm supposed to. So I got really quiet. And during that time, my world became very small. And I just went, why do you want to do this? And I thought it serves a bigger purpose. You you want to talk about these difficult topics, these shameful topics, and your story, how you found your way through one of the worst experiences of your life could help others. 
And so that became part of the intention with writing. And when she stopped asking why, when you're talking JR about pivotal, pivotal moments, that was a turning point. When I stopped asking why was when my life changed because the why was killing me, was absolutely killing me. If you want to know if you're sitting as a, in, as a victim in your story, how many times a day are you asking yourself why? Why me? Why Why us? Why them? What did I do wrong? Those are all victim questions. And again, no shame, but no change comes from there. And so when she stopped asking why, that was literally the moment my life started to change. And every time I said the word why, I would ask what? Because what is an action word? Word. So why? No, why? No, not why. What can you do right now? What can you control? What choice can you make? What can you do? And that keeps us in action mode and moving forward. So that's really the the nutshell of where the book came from. And it was, it was a really scary time doing it, but I'm so glad that I listened to what my gut was telling me to do, because again, I wouldn't be doing any of the work I'm doing now without that. So we have to trust, especially when we're in a space that a lot of people might not agree with us, that those ideas, those drop downs, those things that keep popping on us, they're for us. They're for us. And I don't even know who said it. And it sounds like such a cliche quote, but I love it. It's like, stop trying to get everyone to understand your vision because like your vision is yours to see. Like it's not a conference call. Not everyone's going to see it. They're not supposed (laughs) to see it. It's your vision. And so follow through on that because it's meant to drop on you for a reason. Okay. And I I like that right there. That's probably one of the gems inside this episode. Now, being an author, uh, we do things. And obviously, there was all kinds of self-care. Or I don't like to use the word self-care. I like to say self-maintenance because self-care is a little. So you did some self-maintenance inside this book. Um, And author's block and all other stuff. People can talk to you about that. You probably talked about that enough. Um, What was the point when you had to put the pen down or stop typing? Where inside this book did you have to stop for a little bit and regain your composure? Mm, the beginning and the end. Not even a question. I know it. It's the beginning and the end. I the how to like how to navigate through was e- not. I don't want to say it's easy, but it was easy to put together because I I had done it. But how to tie it together in a story was a was a different beast, and I had to with the beginning. It eventually came, the ending, the book cover and the title all required me to step away. They all required me to step away, to get quiet, to you know spend time in nature, do yoga, to really go internal and listen in order to come up with those pieces and be able to write them from the heart. It's uh, writing a book is really about how deep can you connect to what you're here to do and share Yes, there's grit. Yes, there's consistency. There's so many pieces to it. But if you really want to write it from the heart and you want to share it from the heart, it's there's going to be times where your mind's going to be totally blank and you're not going to have a clue what to say next. And you're going to have to step away and you have to trust that it's going to come out when it does. Like, I think we released it like five months after what I originally wanted to. And I'm glad that we waited. I'm glad, but it's comes in pieces. Okay. And, and critiquing it and getting just right to, to be uh, more than just, you know, your vision, like you want your vision to, like you said, in that aspect of, a, of being a visionary on it, you wanted to be able to wrap around everybody and evolve and revolve with people. That's a key mm-hmm. thing that I found from all authors. Now we're going to move along real quick. Own your choices, own your life. Mm-hmm. 507 episodes, if I'm correct. Is that about You're right? right. Yeah. All right. Um, now, one thing that we do on here is uh, we do a, 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 a shameless plug. Shameless plug is something we do so that people can know where to meet and greet you across the internet. So Marsha, real fast, if you wouldn't mind, could you do a real quick uh, shameless plug? Let everybody know where they can meet and greet you across the internet and how they can be involved with you. Mm, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Yes, I the the easy thing to find me on the internet is start typing Marsha Van W because everything 
when you go to Google comes up like, and it's pretty much 99.9% is me, which I love because my name is so long. Um, the, my podcast is on all different platforms Own your choices, Own your life. And I'm available on any other, um, social media platform as Marsha Van W. I hang out the most on my podcast. My podcast is my space to, I do two solo episodes, one interview a week. And I've, honestly interviewed some unbelievable stories, the kind that just blow your mind. And these people, there's a consistent message there that when I ask them what they're grateful for, what they've learned from their story, almost every single one of them say they wouldn't be doing what they're doing today without walking through the most difficult times in their life. So my podcast allows me to connect with people who are here living a really big purpose and impact. So I'm beyond grateful for it. Okay. And 507 episodes is, is uh, an amazing feat. One quick thing, audience, Lipson. Lipson is home of her podcast, an yeah. amazing website. I'm on my second laptop over here looking at it. Uh, beautiful setup. You have the artwork to the, to the upper left. Over to the right, you got a search section. You got an about. And the amazing thing on her thing is she has her ep- episodes that her episodes are broken up. You can even go as far as going into categories. And I'm talking about the categories are so deep. There was one category called Canadian self-development, mental health, business, um, entrepreneurship. And then it just varies from there. They all connect in certain different ways and you see that they mix around, but they give you the driven SEO you need. And this is for you podcasters um, to, to, know where to go and look for the episode that pertains to you and all episodes should pertain to you but we all know with any podcast if you can directly see what you want to see you'll go to that and then the rest of it will grow on you so amazing thing over there with lips and so big shout out to those uh guys and people over there i just met them uh in orlando so i wanted to give Um, them you were at podfest weren't you yes amazing amazing i bet it was i bet it was amazing Yes, it was. So definitely a big shout out there. Now let's get into this podcast real quick. Uh, everybody knows that I'm a podcast uh, enthusiast. Like I, I, I love everything about podcasting. 507 episodes. And with the way that you put out episodes, that's three episodes, two solo, one uh, interview. My personal opinion, the easiest episodes are the solo ones. Cause like when me and you finish today, I have a track of Four series I want to do, that's 16 episodes. I'll do eight of them today, eight of them tomorrow while I'm still off. And that's the easy part. The interview part to me is the hardest. And I want your opinion on this. And, and I'm just going to put some filler in here, guys and uh, ladies. And anybody else pronouns. Uh, is, is it this? The interview is hard because we have to develop a relationship. I don't know how you do it, but with me, I have to get a report because with me traveling so much, we have, like, our show was supposed to be recorded yesterday. Yeah. Or last week, I think. Last I week or something. Yeah. Whatever day yeah. it was. It was something last week and I had issues, but I communicate with people. You'll hear a phone call from me. You'll get a voice behind. Well, obviously you hear the voice on the podcast, but you'll get a voice and I try to build up a good report because I need to make sure that we can click on. I have 20, 20 statutes that I like to click on, but as long as we click on 15 of them and 15 mm. of them, I can check off very fast by the guest. And I do that because I don't like to waste, you know, when we were first started out podcasting, I was very happy and intrigued to have guests. But as I went further on, I had to see what was going to be the message and what will keep that famous linear expression that I like to keep going on going. Mm-hmm. So to you, what is the best part about podcasting with a guest and then doing the solo episode? I like both mm-hmm. those takes. Both great questions. And I couldn't agree more. Um, with the guests, I like to take people through, you know, a form so that I can get a little bit more information. Um, some are an absolute yes right from the beginning. I'm like, yep, I know it. That's a good one. And then others I will do, I will do the the homework. Like I really go in and it's like, okay, what's there? Is it a yes? Is it not? And I kind of follow my gut as I go through. In the beginning, I said yes to everyone. And then all of a sudden it's like, I think this is one big mistake podcasters make is is that your podcast is your brand. So, you know, you want to be interviewing people who can, who fit with that because there's lots of different podcasts you can be on. So the interview piece, I agree. It's, it's, it is work. There's no question. Sometimes I'm doing a lot of research before I'm reading part of a book. I am listening to a podcast because I want to connect with them quickly. 
right? That's the piece, building that rapport quickly during an interview. So I feel like I'm having a conversation with somebody that I've talked to like, you know, for six months, that's what the feeling that I want to create for them. Because especially if I'm talking about vulnerable stories, I want them to feel like safe and you can share, like let's share and be open. So that's a piece about the interviews. And then the best part about the solos, it's like, me talking through things in my own brain. Sometimes it's like, I just, I get ideas. I have my overflow note section on my phone and all of a sudden I'll be out for a walk and it's like, Ooh, there's a one, there's one, there's one. And I write them in my note section. Like you, I'll come down and I'll map out like four and I'll do them at once. It gives me, it's how I actually sort through content and thoughts in my head is talking. And so solo episodes, I love, and I, I love sharing even more of myself than what I would be sharing on social media. I feel like we've got this beautiful community of people that we've connected with podcast wise and selfishly also, honestly, podcasts and YouTube were all I could do in the very beginning. Like when I was trying to create change, I wasn't hiring coaches and doing expensive things because I, our life was falling apart. Podcasts and YouTube videos and books were pretty much all I could do. And so I have a really special place in my heart for podcast episodes. And I, I think that they can really serve a purpose and help people at different points in their journey. So that's the emotions I put out into those solo episodes. And I thank you for that. Um, and, and like, I, I even give like a little bit more insight. Like, so I look at things, um, you had a guest on your show. What was Vinny? Vinny, 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 mm, Vinny. Vinny uh, Pot- Potestino. Yeah, you had him on your show, right? And he yeah. was at uh, Podfest. Mm-hmm. So, so I listened to your show and I was like, wow, that's very impactful. Um, And how he talked about, you know. He was rating. open and mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I listened to him on your show. And, um, and this is just for podcasters, strictly for podcasters. So I was like, I cannot match that work. He had asked to be on the show. So I declined it after listening to your episode. And I'm giving you logic behind this. And this is for podcasters too, because I, I I felt stronger in your message. So the next thing I did is I took your episode when I was in Florida. Everybody knows I have different little marketing things. I put it out on Snapchat in Orlando and in Tampa and across Clearwater. So the message will be stronger. And I put it right inside that same hotel that we had that convention in. So one thing I want to just Put in here, this is just my little extra piece to put in here, that sometimes, even though we interview some of the same people and different things like that, some people have a different method and mayhem to their questions. And that's one thing I like about you. I'll put that in your testimony later. Um, but listening to your show, it made me feel so positive in that decision that I made. Well, I, it's actually the reason I made the decision. I was like, because I can't top that. I'm not saying that we're we're not we're all equal on the same playing field, but just the way that things are perceived by the people. So one thing in podcasts, and I like that there. So that's the next question I want to ask you. Have you ever, were you, or have you ever been in a position where you were about to interview someone and you heard an interview with that person on someone else's show and you were like, cause I don't have imposter syndrome or anything crazy like that, or not crazy, but it just, I don't have anything like that. But I just, I felt like I couldn't do any more justice than what you did. Have you ever felt that way? Like, hearing a guest on someone else's show or or have you or have you felt the opposite way and i felt this too and i've done this i've heard an interview on someone else and i was like hey i'm the guy that does the 2020 interview style questions this person is doing dateline questions not saying 2020 is better but i don't watch dateline mm, fantastic question have i been in a situation yes i have um first off thank you for your words with um and referring to that episode with Vinny, that was, that was a, it was a fantastic episode. I love that episode. Um, second, yes, I had somebody refer and I have referred to him so many times on my own solo show in his name is Donovan. He was referred to me by, um, a friend who had interviewed him and I started to search him up online and I immediately was like, I don't think I can do that. Like, I don't know if I can do that because that's, he, he was, he had a lot of exposure and a lot of, um, experience and it's, it wasn't imposter syndrome. It was like, I don't know if I could do that justice. I don't know if I can hold that space. And, but I felt again, the intuition piece, no, you're meant to talk to him. And we got on the call. We started, he was having a really like a low moment that he openly talks about. We almost didn't record. We had 45 minutes before recording. And then we ended up recording. And it was such a beautiful episode 
that I refer to multiple times. He has referred multiple people to me. I'm always shouting him out in his DMs. And so I'm so glad I did follow through on that one, even though I was scared to do it. Um, And then there are just other people that, you know, sometimes the opposite where I'm like, this is not the right person. This is not the right fit. And I, and I know it. So in the beginning I said yes to pretty much everyone. And then now we're at a point where it's like, I don't know, maybe 30, 40% get yes, maybe. And, and that's like, sometimes I have to go back in and do a little bit more work and decide, is it the right fit? Like, is it the right fit? So trusting my gut on that has been really important. Okay. And I, and I like that. And, and thank you for that helps the podcasters out because me sometimes, like I said, in this situation, you know, a ton, tons of people flood you like they flood me. Mm-hmm. And, and I hate to turn people away because we mm-hmm. only have 52 weeks and I, and I do produce a high volume amount of shows like you, but like I try to keep two a week, two a week. And then obviously uh, we'll cover in black history month, for instance, I'm going to do a lot more in it because I, because people have brought me a lot of material to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and then, you know, the different types of month, like when um, autism comes up, I have a son that's autistic. So yes, we're going to do more with autism and stuff like that. So I get that there. Now I have to ask you, what is your most hated, most disliked process in podcasting? Quick filler so you can think about yours. Mine is not the editing process. Mine is not the show notes. Obviously, we talked about my little secret that I have now. Yeah, Um, yeah, but the worst part that I hate about podcasting is the third day after my episodes are out and I have put out source material because I'm one of those people I don't follow the the idea of not posting everywhere because I want to reach everybody at your personal Facebook and LinkedIn's your Facebook, Tumblr's your Facebook, Twitter, even on yeah. Twitch. We play we play games sometimes on there and we in like some interviews I do live on there. If I had had your permission, we would have done this live on there today. That would have been really cool. <laughs> yeah. It's just a quick uh quick switch of the flip uh a set switch. The quick switch to just turn it on. Um that is kind of crazy. Let me see if I do I actually have it? Well, yeah, I do. Next time I have you on, because we'll definitely okay. have you on again. We'll do it live on Twitch or somewhere. Okay. And um, so it's the it's not even the post production. It's the downturn of if the show does well or doesn't do well from the social media aspect. I don't worry about the analytics because I know they're going to come within thirty days. Every show with me, I don't, and I want to ask you about that too. I don't necessarily ever worry about my numbers. I don't care when I was only when I only had five listeners or fifty listeners. I always worried about what the social media engagement was because I went on Canva and made this and I did this and that. And then I also worry about not the guest reciprocity when it comes to actually like sharing the episode, but them acknowledging the episode because you can do a show with someone and I've had it. And this is the pet peeve in podcasting. And I don't care if they share the material, but hey, our show came out Thursday, uh, February 9th. I need you to at least acknowledge that, hey, I was on this podcast, even if it's in your story somewhere, or even if you just write a message to your cousin Terry in Toledo, let somebody know on that end. And that doesn't happen at all. So that that's my thing. So what about you inside podcasting? What are your most hated uh, part production or whatever you name it? No, you, you hit on something there that like, as far as I have support now with my podcast that I, I'm beyond grateful for. And in the beginning I did it all by myself and there were many parts of podcasting I didn't like, and I didn't edit to the point, you know, because it was just, there's only so much time in a day. And so I learned to let go of a lot of that perfectionism. Mine really becomes that. And I think it's because, especially like with the platform that we both use, um, I get to see some people who go out of their way to share the episodes. They're writing the reviews on Apple or whatever. They're sharing the episode. They're connecting with me on social media everywhere. They share the episode. So it's like you're seeing people make the effort because one of the hard things as a podcaster is when you highlight, and I love the interviews. Like I do love the interviews. I love the interaction. But as the host, you're doing 99% of the work. And so I don't think it's a lot to ask. I might be a little bold, but I don't think it's a lot to ask for the guest to be connecting, sharing, shouting it out, maybe multiple times. I don't know, writing the review, like it's even a simple thank you. I I don't, it's not that I'm like sitting here expecting all that, 
But that is a bit of a pet peeve for me, especially because I see people now who go like over and above. They're like, you know what? This person had me on their show. Stay tuned. It'll be coming out. Excited to have this. I go to Apple. They've written a review. You know, they've done the review in Podmatch. We've done all of these pieces. Like, so some people do go out of their way and they're extremely appreciative and some don't. And that would be probably one of my biggest pet peeves because, and I, maybe that's something I need to be more clear on is, you know, are you willing to share and to put this out? Because honestly, if you're not like, I'm sorry, but it's a lot of work. And I think it's reciprocal. I think that it needs to be. So I know when I'm a guest on somebody's show, I work really hard. And sometimes I might miss it because I didn't see it came out. Or some people don't have social media and they don't tag me and I don't know. And so I do those extras to try and tag people and, you know, reshare it and put that content out there because we can do all these things behind the scenes, but how it lives out in social media or online it's up to us. We have to continue to breathe life into that. And so that would be one of my pet peeves too, to be honest. Okay. And I like that because I don't know, just it, reciprocity is something that you should have in this because um, not to go deep into my story, but uh, at different points, I've been approached to have guests on my show, paid guests from PR firms and those yeah. PR firms, I see what they do for their guests. And I'm like, where podcasters are personal PR firms for their guests for free. So that was one of those things that I kind of just, you know, grabbed onto. Now, editing process. That's something I like to talk about editing. Um, When I first started out, I did not edit. Like I was really, I didn't even have an intro because I was like, this is just a conversation. I'm going to throw it out there. I want to see how many people, and I told people that it's amateur style. I just picked it up and just recorded it. I want y'all to see what you like with it. So it did well. Well, then Mm -hmm. I got to a point where my listeners became more proficient in podcasting. So that's where I grabbed the LinkedIn listeners. And that's one thing I want to touch on real fast. Sorry, sorry, everybody. I want to spin back. LinkedIn is an amazing place to advertise and market your podcast. That's Mm -hmm. where our people are. I just want to put that out there. So anyway, getting back to what I was saying. So um, kind of lost my thought for a moment. Um, actually I lost it. Wow. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. You went to LinkedIn. <clears throat> yeah. So basically, um, what, what I, what I was trying to get around to is like the editing process. Mm-hmm. When you, uh, distraction edit, that takes a long time. I stopped mm-hmm. doing distraction edit. Cause I'm going to say, um, you're going to hear mm. the only sound effect I don't want is this. Yeah. So I, I stopped distraction editing, but I do the minor stuff and I edit at 1.5 like everybody else. I even tried it at 2.0, but it was just too much chipmunk noise. Um, so tell me about your editing process. I mean, you may have passed it along to someone else now, but how did that go? And the reason I'm asking you this is because podcasters don't talk about this. We all, you hear lies. I hear tons of lies. People are just like, oh, we just put it in uh, Logic Pro and hit three buttons and it's done. No, it's a longer process. So please, Marcia, tell us about your process. Oh, wow. This is so good. Um, So I'm going to get to plug one of my friends right now who has stepped in and helped me with the editing. She loves editing. Like her name's Sue. She loves editing. Um, It's a very meticulous activity. And truth be told, it's not my jam. I am not like when I did same as you when I started, I barely edited, but nobody was editing then. And then all of a sudden it got more proficient, but I also think it got like so curated that it, we're not having a conversation now. Like there's not one, um, are you kidding me? Like a person didn't say the word, um, once in an hour it happens. And so I want it to be a real conversation. Um, she's fantastic. Like now I get to do the things that I love to do, which is record and chat and have interviews. And I send everything to her and she edits it and brings it back to me. She is fantastic with it, but it still comes out as real. And she pulls these clips. I think that's the other piece is that I can't remember half the time what I said or what, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm sorry, but it's true. I don't know what I said. And she'll send me a message. She's like, oh my God, I got the best clip. And she'll pull it out. And I'm like, oh, I don't even remember that part. Okay, that's awesome. So I have that as a team. And I only see that continuing to grow because I think it's really important that, you know, I don't think in business you should 
hand off every single thing that you do. Um, I think it's important to try, like in the beginning, I did it for three years on my own. It was messy. It was messy. It wasn't perfect by any means. It's still not perfect. But now I get to stay in that zone of the things that I like doing. And, and that's, that's more of what it is, is the speaking and sharing. So she goes through the editing process and we set up a fairly good system. My job is to stay at least two weeks minimum ahead for, you know, my solos and interviews. And then she'll work ahead as she does them. But, you know, it, she's also like my fifth person that I've had like you might not get the right person the first time. And, and that's also not an easy thing as a business owner, right? Is like, this is not working. I've had to let a few people go and I don't like that part, but it is part of part of business and knowing who is a good fit and who's not. And she's been absolutely fantastic for um, my show. And, And see, like I had an editor for a while myself. And then, you know, with the explosion of AI, I actually have this thing called Podcastle and it's an, AI editor podcastle. So I, I've become lazy inside podcasting. Like I told you what the cap show does or whatever. Yep. And this, I put my audio in there and this is nothing about audio and nothing against any engineer or any editor. Shout out to Sue. I hope that you can bring her some more business with that. But mm-hmm. even if they record it, I mean, even if they edit everything down, I still have to listen to it one more time before it comes out. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let me just hand it off to the AI. So I just like this, this episode, when we finish. On the second computer, I'm going to send it over to it. Amazing. It's going to it's going to sit in the AI, and it's going to get the white noise out, the background noise, the extra sh- 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 <laughs> just just in case. I just had to do it for sound effects, so it'll it'll take it out. <laughs> it's going to take that out. So that, that's what I do. So the one thing I, that I have liked about podcasting from the time that you and I started till now, it's evolved. It has become almost oh, one click. I I seen a kid. Um, I was in. And I'll, and I always relate it to where I get. For some reason, I'm always between Erie, Pennsylvania, and Buffalo when it gets cold. And a kid in Buffalo, like we were just discussing, like I was just consulting with him. He did his, his show, everything, even editing from his iPhone. And his oh, show wow. sound, his show sounded better than mine. And he had no microphone. And I mean, I got bells and whistles, and <laughs> you know, I've gone from USB mics to XLR mics, and you know, all that other stuff that you got to do yep. to make your sound better. Um, so, uh, like I said, uh, podcast is a great space, and the community is amazing too. Um, and how people love to share. I have never been in a community, and I don't know about you. I want to ask you about this. I've never been in a community where people are so amped to help people. Yes, I couldn't honestly. I couldn't agree more. I, maybe that's one of the things I love the most about it is how much support there is. I've had a few interviews. I would say my last few interviews that I've had, we finish, and the person will say, "What could I do to support you right now? How could I share?" We, I know the episode's not even out yet. What could I do to support you right now? Who could I connect you with? Who could I help with? That's what I'm seeing more and more of is this piece of connection and collaboration. And I mean, we all hear the word collaboration. I actually think a lot of people use the word, but don't actually live by the word. I think it sounds good, but I think true collaboration is like, how can I help you and not expect something in return, knowing that, you know, we can all rise together and we're all elevating what the platform of podcasting is. So I really think we're all doing that by connecting and collaborating. And that's been one of my favorite things is seeing people who are connecting in this space. Like I even see other, I know we connected a few times before recording, but I've had a number of podcasts now saying, do you have time for a five minute chat? They want to talk to me and ask me a couple of quick questions. I just want to make sure it's the right fit. No problem. No problem. You know, how can I support you with this? So I agree. The, the podcast community to me has really raised up and has really just been a beautiful thing. Me too. And and one other thing about it too, is like the hemispheres because uh, lo and behold, there's probably only seven hours of travel between where, well, probably six, seven hours between where me and you live, but we're mm-hmm. in the actual same hemisphere. Yeah. And when you meet people in the same hemisphere, or as I like to say, the same region, certain things fall into place because you can do certain little things in marketing and not that they're all that into any episodes. The one thing that I liked about collaborating with people, uh, not actual interview, like you said, the sharing process, like once I was able to hear your show, I've been able, since I last talked to you, I've been in three major cities, Columbus, Ohio, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and then home, which my city is a 
whatever the cities in West Virginia are. Um, and I was able to put your show at different stops. And the thing about it is, is we don't say anything about that. You don't do anything because you we want to see the audience grow. So like in my network, like there's 300 podcasters now. It was 200 a week ago, but 300 now across the world share everybody's podcast. You may not even know. They may not even know who you are. We just send a list around. So like you said, that, that type of camaraderie and stuff like that, you don't see it anywhere else. And I will say personally, like I have had a few feuds inside of podcasting, but that's just because of egos. But outside of that, the people are amazing and it's great. Now, we'll move along a little bit. So 500 episodes, 507 episodes deep into podcasting. Um, I have to ask you this, and this is a vintage podcast collide question, and then we're going to go into some other things because uh, we need to talk about NLP and your life adversity coach, and we definitely need to do all that before we jump off here. Um, what was the biggest mistake you've made in podcasting? And I'm going to give you a second to think about this because I always keep putting filler in. And I'm going to tell you this. The biggest mistake that I made in podcasting was once I started making money and I started doing things in podcasting, I didn't realize that people didn't want to hear that. People mm. don't want to hear about the help that you're trying to offer. People only want help in these instances. If, and, and I can give a great example of, uh, Marsha, for instance, I seen what you were doing in podcasts and I, I did my research, Trevor and I and Stacy and all looked around and I didn't know, I know none of your monetary position or anything like that, but I noticed that you had a passion for podcasting. So very lightly it was vanilla frosting. I told you about the things that I do in podcast mm -hmm. and I didn't come to you and say, Hey, Marsha, this is what you have to do. This is how you should succeed. I was just like, Hey, here's a few suggestions. Here's a few things that I will be able to send your way. And that's the polite way to do it. Mm -hmm. Beforehand, I was, wasn't aggressive, but I was like, hey, I made money in podcasting because I went to a construction firm and said, hey, you need a tax write-off. I need someone to pay for my show. I don't want to go put ads in my show all the time because I don't want to be subjective to something that I can't get royalties on later. And I would say that to someone, but I didn't give the how, the why, and why I did all those things. I just gave them blunt information and try to put a paywall around it. And mm -hmm. I learned that that wasn't right because I was gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. So from that point on, I stopped soliciting my help. I still have my consultant page. When people need help, they come to me. When they, Since they know that I'm authority in what I do, they come to me. So that's a lesson I had to learn that before you can even put a stamp on something, you need to be an authority in something. Mm -hmm. Before you say anything to anybody, if you're not an authority in that, you need to to get off that horse, put the reins down and let the person that was on that horse before keep doing what they're doing until you can take that horse. Mm. Wow. Okay. So very, I couldn't agree more. And I routinely always say like, I will never coach, speak, write, share on something I have not lived or done. I just will not, it's not going to happen. And I, Please follow WV Uncommonplace on Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, TikTok where we have some great content, Facebook, LinkedIn, hit up the merch store at onecommonplace.square.site, join the email list from the website, and rate, subscribe, and give feedback from your favorite podcatcher. And lastly thanks for listening and tune into the next episode.